Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther how the Jews fought to save their lives from destruction and took no spoil from their killing, just as Abraham took no spoil in the book of Genesis. This message is available for free download on iTunes or at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, if you turn in your Bibles here to Esther chapter 9, and I'm so glad this morning to see Esther here (laughs) as we continue in the study of this wonderful history that God has preserved for us here. Esther chapter 9, and we're going to start this morning in verse 4, so if you follow along here, Esther chapter 9, verse 4. If you haven't found it, keep looking, it's there. It was there yesterday. Esther chapter 9, verse 4. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. And in Shushan the palace, the Jews slew and destroyed 500 men. And Parshandatha, and Dalphin, and Aspatha, and Paratha, and Adalia, and Aradatha, and Parmashta, and Arishai, and Aridai, and Vachezitha. The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they, but on the spoil laid there not their hand. And on that day, the number of those that were slain in Shushan the palace was brought before the king. And the king said unto Esther the queen, The Jews have slain and destroyed five hundred men in Shushan the palace and the ten sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is thy petition, and it shall be granted thee? Or what is thy request further, and it shall be done? Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according to this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. And the king commanded it so to be done, and the decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the fourteenth day also at the month of Adar, and slew three hundred men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies, and slew of their foes seventy and five thousand, but they laid not their hands on the prey. On the thirteenth day of the month of Adar, and on the fourteenth day of the same rested day, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were in Shushan assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth day thereof, and on the fifteenth day of the same they rested, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the fourteenth day of the month of Adar a day of gladness and feasting, and a good day, and of sending in portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things, and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and the fifteenth day of the same yearly, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning unto a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, and of sending portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun, and as Mordecai had written unto them, because Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast her, that is the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore they called these days Purim, after the name Pur. 
Therefore, for all the words of this letter and of that which they had done concerning, which they had seen concerning this matter and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, as it should not fail that they should keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time of the year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent the letters unto all the Jews to the hundred and twenty and seven provinces in the kingdom of Hashuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim and their days appointed according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them and as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fasting and for their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written in the book starting next chapter. And King Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea and all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai whereunto the king advanced him are not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of the Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was next unto Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren seeking the wealth, the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Now, In our last study, you remember that we saw from verse 3 how the Jews were greatly helped by this very unusual group of Gentiles. These were the rulers of the provinces. These were the lieutenants. These were the deputies. And these were the officers of the king. And this group of these very unusual people all banded together with one purpose, to help the Jews from being destroyed, to help the Jews defeat their enemies. Why did this group band together to defeat the enemies of the Jews? Because God wanted the enemies of the Jews to be defeated. And those men who helped the Jews had their eye on Mordecai. And notice what it says in verse 7. It describes Mordecai as Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater, great in the king's house. His fame went out throughout all the provinces. This man waxed greater and greater because God had made the king to exalt Mordecai to such a high position that that triggered all these other men to help the Jews. And what we read that happened in verse 5 is a great scene of bloods everywhere, it says in verse 5. The Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction, and they did what they would unto those that hated them. So first, we have the scene of the stroke of the sword, the drawing of the sword. And with those words, we can see the sword swing and land on the shoulder of one of the enemies. And as it's pulled back, the blade severed the blood vessels and so forth and that's a scene that's described for us from close up we can see it and then the camera so to speak pulls back like looking at a hill over the whole scene there at Gettysburg and the scene is described for us as if looking over the battle of Gettysburg as a scene of slaughter and destruction as it says and that's the reason why is then given why do we see this slaughter why is there this great destruction because it explains the Jews did that that they would unto those that hated them. And in verse 6, we're told how many haters 
of the Jews that there were that they had killed in Shushan the palace. And the number is reported to us. 500, 500. And then in verses 7 through 9, we have the names of the ten sons of Haman in verse 10. And we're told that they were killed. And as I said when I was reading it, the Targum directs the Jewish people during the celebration of Purim that they should read those names in one breath without taking another breath because it's said that all of those ten sons died and gave up their last breath in one moment. And so that's the scene that's painted for us, a scene that's a bloody scene, a scene of great destruction. But it says in verse 10 that it tells us that all, the tens, that all these ten sons of Haman, they were died at one time, but there's a very important detail that's given to us. And it's especially here, it says, but on the spoil laid they not their hand. And Haman was a rich man, and his sons had money as well. They were rich. But this little caption, on the spoil laid there not their hands. Why didn't the Jews touch the spoil? Why didn't they take the spoil? The king gave them the authority to take the spoil, but they didn't take the spoil. Why? For the same reason that Abraham did not take the spoil, as we've studied in the slaughter of the kings in Genesis 14, 22, when Abram says to the king of Sodom, he says, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet. I won't take a thread, I won't take a shoelace, and I'll not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Abram had the right to do it. The Hammurabi Code gave him the right to do it, to take the spoils of war. That was his for the taking. But those things were the things that the king of Sodom had lost. And there was a higher consideration for Abraham. And that was the consideration of reputation. And how would it be? How would it appear? And Abram said, asked that question. And he said, you know what that would appear like? That would appear like the king of Sodom made me rich. And I'll have nothing to do with that. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Because Abraham was jealous. He was jealous to have a good reputation. He was jealous to have a clear life statement that God made him rich. Not the king of Sodom. So he gave up what was rightfully his to take. And in the same way, the Jews had the right to take the spoil here. But following Abraham's example, the Jews wisely asked the question, how would it appear? How would it look? What kind of a reputation could we get? And the Jews realized it might appear that we got this edict from the king to destroy our enemies so that we could become rich, so that we could enrich ourselves with what they had. And they said, no, we want nothing to do with it, nothing at all. And there's a a principle here, which is given to us in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, where Paul says, abstain, hold back, don't do it. Abstain from, he doesn't say abstain from all evil. It says abstain from all appearance of evil. Even though it wasn't true that the king of Sodom would have made Abraham rich. It wasn't true that they got this edict from the king so that they could enrich themselves. It wasn't true, but it might appear that way. That evil might appear that way. So they said, no, if we take the possessions of the people that we have permission to do, it'll look like we destroyed them to get ourselves rich, and that appears evil. So we abstain from it. And so that they didn't want the reputation. They didn't want anybody after this slaughter to walk down the street and says, look at that Jew. 
Look at that nice coat that he's wearing. I remember that coat. That coat used to be his. See what he did? And they were in danger of getting a reputation of that they orchestrated all this. The killing of their enemy so they could get rich. And so they looked at the taking the riches and they said, that will destroy our good name. If we do it, it'll destroy our good name. So a decision has to be made. A decision has to be made between great riches or a good name. Which one's it going to be? Great riches, forget about the name, or a good name, forget about the riches. And Solomon, king of Israel, he helps and he guides. And they had the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 22, verse 1, Solomon wrote, A good name is rather to be chosen rather than great riches. So they knew they had the principle there. Choose the good name rather than the great riches. So when they stood at the crossroads where it says, take the riches in a bad name and the other road's name, don't take the riches and take a good name, they took that road. They took that road and they chose to have a good name. That's a good example for us as believers. We're called by the name of the Lord Jesus. And as the Jews came to their crossroads and had to decide, we're going to go down this road or we're going to go down that road, they said, we're going to choose the road of the good name. And so with us, we come to crossroads. We have to make these decisions. We're going to press our rights. We're going to go for what is rightfully ours. Or we're going to say, how would it appear? What would our reputation be like? And so we come to make the same decisions as they did. And we follow, hopefully, what Solomon says. A good name is rather be chosen than great riches. Now, notice in verse 11 how the number of those that were killed in Shushan the palace was brought to the king. So the king, it says there in verse 11, on that day the number of those that were slain in Shushan the palace was brought before the king. So we can picture the scene of the king. He's sitting back and his throne, and he's having the news read to him. That's what you do when you're a king. You sit on the throne, you have the news read to you. You don't have to read it yourself. And so the news comes in, and it says, the king, 500 men, 500 men have been killed in the palace. Now, Esther's there, and that must have been terrifying for Esther, as she must have feared the king is going to turn to her and say, 500 men, Esther! Your petition has resulted in the death of 500 loyal subjects that served me? 500 men in Shushan the palace alone, Esther? What have you done, Esther? Don't you know we're at war with the Greeks, Esther? Then we can't afford to just lose 500 men in here in Shushan the palace. They could be fighting against the Greeks. And the king was not exactly nonchalant over this number of 500 slain men. And it's because... And notice in verse 12 how that was 500 men, it says. But please notice in verse 12 how it specifically says that the number that were slain were 500 men. It only says men. It says nothing about wives and children. It just says men. But the edict from the king gave the permission for the Jews to kill the wives and the children because that's what the enemies of the Jews were going to do. But here again, we see restraint on the part of the Jews. They didn't kill the wives and the children. By not killing the wives and the children, the Jews were further making a statement that what they did was a matter of their own survival and not of vengeance. And so we can feel this pressure that's on Esther. When she's under this pressure, when the king asks for an account in verse 12, and says, And the king said unto Esther the queen, The Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the palace, and the ten sons of Haman. And what have they done in the rest of the provinces? Now, she must have been terrified 
to have heard this news. And then the king turns to her and says the words of verse 12, the Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in the Shushan palace and the 10 sons of Haman. And then Esther's really in the hot seat when in verse 12, the king turns to Esther and said, and what have they done in the rest of the provinces of the kingdom? What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? So after Esther hears from the king, she could have heard 500 men in Shushan, tens of thousands throughout the provinces. That's too much. I'm not going to stand by you any further in this, Esther. This senseless killing has to stop. Esther, you've done enough damage. Stop. But we see Esther as the woman of God that she was, who trusts in the Lord and to make the king to continue to stand before, to stand with her. She trusts that God's going to do that, that the king is going to continue to stand by her. We see a woman of God who's so confident and has such a boldness and a confidence that what God had started, he was intending to finish. Just like it says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ is a work that God started, and if he started it, we have confidence that he intends to finish it. And so Esther was convinced that God had started to save the Jews, And that was a work of God, and she was confident that God was going to finish it. And it was that confidence that drove her when she responds to the terrifying question, you know, now what is thy petition? And at that moment, before she hears the rest, before she hears the rest of the, the, what the king says, her heart might have stopped. She was just in fear. But she's confident that God had begun this work. He's going to finish the work. And Esther knew that the Jews needed one more day in Shushan, the palace. Because she got word, she goes, you know, there were some, there were some we were looking for them, they were gone, they were hidden, we couldn't find them. We need an extra day to root them out, to root them out, to find where they escaped to so we can finish the job. And so she hears these next words to come from the king in verse 12. Esther, ask, it'll be granted unto you. Or what's your petition? It'll be done. And when Esther hears these words from the king, she knew that God was behind finishing the work that he had begun in saving the Jews. When Esther hears these words from the king, it was as if she heard those words from God. It shall be granted unto thee. Or what is the request further? It shall be done. Those words, those words put a lot of pressure on Esther. How did Esther do this? How did she find the bravery to be able to stand alone, to be able to stand again before the king and ask for the extra day of killing? How did Esther again not remain silent? That was always the pressure on Esther, to remain silent. So how could she do that? Esther spoke again by remembering Those guiding words that became for her a life guidance. The words of Mordecai, her mentor, in Esther 4.14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall arise enlargement and deliverance to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Those were like points that Esther had in her heart. They were like points from Mordecai that were engraved on her heart. And she thought about those. The first point, the words of Mordecai, holdest thy peace. She understood this was all about whether or not 
she was going to keep silent. Whether or not she was going to hold her peace. Whether or not she was going to speak. The second point that Mordecai had made to her, the words of Mordecai, holdest thou, holdest thy peace at this time. He kept emphasizing the time, at this time, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It was all about time. It was all about timing. Esther knew her life was all about needing to identify God's time, which came around once. And when she did identify it, it was her opportunity. And it didn't matter how she felt on that day. Her life opportunity was all about seizing the opportunity when it came. And in verse 12, when she heard the king say to her, what is thy petition? Esther heard God say to her, go on the stage now, Esther. It's time for you to act out again your life performance of saving the Jews. And Esther responded to God without any hesitation. Esther steps forward. She addresses the king without blinking. Esther looked the king straight in the eyes with a bold confidence, and she said the words of verse 13. Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan for to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. So we see in verse 13 how strong Esther's resolve is by two requests that she makes. First, her request is, is for there to be a second day of killing. A second day of killing the enemies of the Jews in Shushan the palace to uproot those enemies of the Jews who had escaped, who had hid from the sword on the one day. If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do it tomorrow according to this day's decree. And Esther knew, Esther knew that the Jews had not killed the wives and the children in Shushan. And there was always a danger among them and also among others to be tempted to become haters of the Jews. So she has one more request in verse 13. And it says, And let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. This may have meant that the ten sons were hanged by the neck from the tall gallows that were built for Mordecai, or it may be that they were impaled or crucified as the Persians used to do. But she asked for this to be done. You know, sweet Esther, don't get in an argument with Esther. (laughs) But it was a public display, a public display and a warning to others who would want in the future to become haters of the Jews. And in verse 14, we see how God rewarded the boldness and the bravery and the courage of Esther, as it says, and the king commanded it so to be done. And the decree was given in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews in Shushan the palace, they watched as Esther again cast herself into the arms of God. The Jews watched Esther as she cast herself again into the arms of God. She risked again making the second request to the king. And what the Jews in Shushan the palace saw, it encouraged them so much. Esther was like a Deborah. They encouraged, she was, she was an encourager to others who thought, you know, they had any thought. And the Jews in Shushan the palace said, you know, with all this slaying and slewing, it's enough. Let's let bygones be bygones with this and get on with life. But they dismissed those thoughts. As they looked at Esther and they said, for the Jews that were in Shushan, verse 15, gathered themselves together on the 14th day also of month Adar and slew 300 men in Shushan. But on the prey, they laid not their hand. So on the 14th day of Adar, the Jews uprooted another 300 haters who had hid and escaped the sword on the 13th. 
But again, the Jews resist the temptation. As it's stated again, it was a temptation, but they didn't touch that prey. And they were united with this. They left it alone. So at Shushan the palace, because Esther had word that the Jews needed an extra day, so she gives them the extra day. And verse 16 explains to us that the Jews in the other provinces, they only had one day of killing. That was the 13th of Adar, and they killed 75,000. And again, we're told at the end of verse 16 that the Jews in the provinces did not put their hand on the prey as well. They did not put their hand to the spoil. How did this word get spread? I don't know. But it was all the way from Ethiopia, all the way to India, vast territory of land here. But the Jews were united. This was not about enriching themselves. And it's put at the end of verse 19. The Jews made the day a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and sending portions one to another. That's a very important word that's used there. It's the word made. The Jews made the day. The Jews made the days to be days of feasting and gladness. They made the days to be good days. It was a choice of the Jews. They didn't have to make those days to be days of feasting and gladness and good days, but they made it that way. They did. They decided they wanted it to be that way, and they made it that way. You know, we have a choice. We have a choice just like the Jews did. We have a choice of what we're going to do with Sunday. Today's Sunday, in case you didn't know. And we have a choice, and that choice is really given to us in Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. So turn, if you like, there. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. So there, in that passage, Isaiah 58, the Lord is saying to the Jewish people, you have a choice. You have a choice. And here's what he says. If, that means a choice. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program today. We've almost concluded our series from the book of Esther. We want to encourage you to go to friendshipwithgod.org to download all of these messages for free. Friendshipwithgod.org to download all the messages for free or from the podcast on iTunes. You can also call us at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051.